0: Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 78. My guest today is Katie Jane Seton of Farmhouse Vineyards. She's a West Texas Dynamo who's one-fourth of the ownership team of Farmhouse Vineyards. It's taken me a while to get Katie Jane on my podcast, but it was worth the wait. We're talking about Texas agriculture, Farmhouse's best damn client list, her long history in the Texas wine industry, the eclipse, and much more. Everyone I told that I was having Katie Jane on the podcast said, oh, I bet that's going to be a good one, and I think it is. In the Texas News section, we've got some breaking news from Daniel at Vinovium, some good press for Texas white grape varieties, educational opportunities, and a special Texas wine event for International Women's Day. Whether you're a regular listener or you're new here, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Well, this just in, Daniel Collada at Vinovium, my co-host for the 2023 year-end episode, has just released a video outlining some changes coming soon for Vinovium. He's got big plans for the popular Johnson City spot, and now he's seeking investors, collaborators, and supporters to join him as Vinovium changes form. There will be a for-sale sign posted on the property soon. You can hear about it straight from Daniel by listening to the video that he posted to YouTube. I'll link to it. And don't hesitate to reach out to Daniel if you want to be part of the future of Vinovium. So many people in this industry love and support Daniel and all that he's built at Vinovium, and I have no doubt that the changes that are to come will be positive. Texas White Wines are leading the news right now. Forbes has a new article by Paul Caputo. It's called Vermentino is a Fresh White Wine for a Hotter World. Dukeman Family Winery winemaker Dave Riley is quoted extensively. He says that while all grapes face certain challenges in Texas because of our sometimes extreme and unpredictable growing conditions, including late spring freezes and unprecedented heat and droughts, Vermentino is very tolerant and has risen to the top as the most resilient to weather while still producing maximum quality fruit. Given the outstanding wine we've produced over the years, I would venture to say that it likes its home in Texas as much or more than Italy. Dukeman has just released the first Vermentino in three years, and it's the 2023 vintage. Can't wait to try that one. Blanc de Bois is another Texas white grape that's in the news. Wine enthusiast ran the article Blanc de Bois, Say Bonjour to the Lone Star State in the print edition. The article by Kristen Richard includes several Texas growers and winemakers that grow and make Blanc de Bois including Jerry Watson, who was one of the first growers of Blanc de Bois in the state. He's also the man behind the Watson Training System, a trellising method that was designed to deal with the grapevine's vigorous canopy. He says, We embraced Blanc de Bois more broadly than any other state, and the author states that Texas is the Blanc de Bois capital of America, according to Wine Business Analytics. Remember that Blanc de Bois is an American hybrid grape that was created in 1968 at the University of Florida. When it comes to Blanc de Bois, it's not just the grape's resistance to Pierce's disease that winemakers appreciate, but also its fruit-forward and crisp profile. Paul Bonarigo of Messina Hoff says that he appreciates the versatility of the grape. He has experimented with oaked, sweet, dry, and sparkling versions. Tiffany Mankachi Winemaker at Hack Vineyards has also experimented broadly with these styles, as well as a Madeira-style fortified wine from Blanc de Bois. And Kate Coleman, a South Texas winemaker, has made a skin-contact orange wine with Blanc de Bois. The OIV and the Texas Department of Agriculture are co-hosting an event for researchers, professionals, and stakeholders in the viticulture sector to discuss Pierce's disease and other grapevine diseases, the symposium will take place on Friday, May 17th, all day at Hotel Sonesta in Bee Caves, which is outside of Austin. Registration is open now. A thoughtful listener sent me a message after my last podcast featuring Mike and Kristen Nelson of Abastris, and he suggested that I encourage people interested in Texas wine to consider becoming an advocate member of Texas Wine Growers. You heard about the Texas Wine Growers Association, From uh, Mike and Kristen, and, and it's come up several other times on the podcast as well. According to the Texas Wine Growers website, advocate members get lots of feel good opportunities as Texas wine industry supporters, plus some exclusive benefits, including invitations to members only events and a $50 credit toward a class through the Hill Country Wine Academy. That's formerly the William Chris Wine School. So consider joining. And they say that you'll become a champion for Texas wine, a liquid embodiment of resilience, innovation, and Texas hospitality. I'm about to join myself. Next, I'm announcing a very special event happening in Fredericksburg. I hope you'll join me on Friday, March the 8th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Wine for the People. That day is International Women's Day and I'll be moderating a panel that celebrates women in Texas wine. Ray Wilson is hosting this event in the recently redesigned space that's the new home of Wine for the People. That's the former Lost Draw space. The panel of winemakers consists of Ray from Wine for the People, Benedict Rhine of Rhine Wines, Jackie Van Sant Downs from Driftwood Winery, and Nikila Nara Davis from Policy Cellars. Tickets are $20 and include a glass of wine and light bites, and proceeds will go to the Grace Center, a women's shelter in Fredericksburg. So I hope you'll come out and raise a glass with me. Watch social media for details, and you can find the link for this event and all the rest that I've mentioned in the show notes. That's at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. And now for our interview. Katie Jane Seton raises boys, row crops, wine grapes, Dorper sheep and eyebrows on the Texas High Plains. You'll usually find her in Brownfield managing the Big Idea Department at Farmhouse Vineyards. Farmhouse grows 7,000 acres of crops and has around 5,000 head of production ewes and three vineyard sites. They sell about 95% of their grapes and make some wine of their own with the remaining 5%. Tim Drake is their winemaker. Katie Jane was executive producer for the YouTube docuseries Texas Winemakers that debuted about two years ago. And she also had a prior life as a rodeo queen. But we were so busy chatting about everything else that I didn't even ask her about the rodeo queen bit or the movie producer bit. So maybe we'll need to do a part two someday. I couldn't bear to cut anything out, so here's our full-length conversation with the one and only Katie Jane Seton.
1: K-A-T-Y-J-A-N-E-S-E-A-T-O-N. Awesome. Co-owner of Farmhouse Vineyards and Big Idea Girl.
0: Love it. You were one of the first calls I made when I decided I wanted to do a Texas Wine Podcast. Yes, ma'am. I don't know how I even really, I did not know you from Adam, but yeah. I knew of you. I think I followed you on social media. Yeah. I was extremely intimidated, and we had set a time to talk, I think, during one of the boys' naps.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And during our call, you kind of maybe walked down the hallway and realized that the kiddo was not in the bed, that maybe he was out wandering the vineyard. (laughs) Correct.
1: Yes. He just let himself outside. We went through that phase on the farm.
0: Well, it all started with a lot of laughs and um, a lot of you advising me from time to time, and I really appreciate
1: that. Oh, my gosh. That is so kind of you, because I just think of you as the wiser (laughs) of the two of us. No, you are just, you're so, lots of people when they enter Texas wine or really any wine um, have amazing ideas. And when they don't get the reception right away, right? Or when it's hard to break through, you know, barriers, clicks, groups, whatever you want to call them, they get pretty discouraged and they don't stick, they don't stay. And I think that's why it's so hard for anyone you know, to even feel welcome, which is, that's the part I hate. But when I talk to the young people who come in with the brand, whether it's our brand or another brand in the tasting room, and they'll say, I've been introduced to that person four or five times. And I'm like, yeah, you know, there was people that didn't know my name for five years. Just, you got to get over it and stick it out. Like, don't tell me this is your passion and then not be willing to be called Susan or Margaret, right? Right. (laughs) And so when I hear you, like, you just haven't wavered. You, You showed up, you said, this is who I am, this is what's missing, this is what I'm going to do, and then you've executed every week there forward.
0: Well, thank you. That is kind of you. I I do know my limitations, and one of them certainly is that I have no cred in viticulture whatsoever. So it's been a huge learning opportunity for me to delve into that. But I'm... That just means you're not
1: millions of dollars in debt. Don't (laughs) see it as a downfall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> see it as your banker likes you better than me.
0: <laughs> I can confidently say that I really don't want to have a vineyard because I right. see how hard it is. it is. yeah. But it's partly by watching what you have accomplished these past several years that I am uh, in awe and slightly scared of the whole vineyard scene. But. I know that your personal wine story started before you even got to Texas. So it did. tell me about that.
1: Yeah. I'm from the great Northwest, born in Washington, raised in Oregon, essentially. We moved back to my mom's hometown when I was in the eighth grade. And then um, I went to college a couple of times. <laughs> the first time was in Walla Walla Community College. And so I always uh, identify, went there for you know the cowgirl, cowboy version rodeo team, um, but it is steeped in the middle of that phenomenal wine region. So it was probably my very first real exposure. I didn't grow up in a wine-drinking family, per se. Then as my sister became, who's 11 years older than I am, um, a real professional and very corporate, I watched her engage. And we are come from the ranch side of things, right? I married into real crop farmers later on down the road, but we we're ranch producers. and And so... I can't even tell you what year that was, but I went through a couple of life changes and I migrated from um, the Northwest to Arizona eventually and then knew that I was going to have to go back to college if I wanted to get the promotions that I was always up for and didn't get, right? With The main one, the last one, the catalyst one being in, at marketing girl at the casino. So I always say that like cowboys, Indians, and the casino biz is really what honed me for the wine biz. <laughs> Interesting. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I went to school at New Mexico State and um, was in you know, agriculture economics. And I had an assistant professor come down and ask, he wanted somebody to work the merch booth at the New Mexico wine, and they called it the wine and chili war at that time, but essentially the New Mexico wine festival. And I did it. They, it was a group of guys that was aboard. You know, year after year, they took out old posters and set them on white plastic tables with old gilded t shirts in boxes and couldn't figure out why they hadn't sold anything. I saw it as a huge opportunity, um, stayed up all night, restaged the tent ended up, we sold $7,000 worth of merch that weekend, and I was offered a job. So I never set out to be in the wine business. I thought I would work for the PRCA, the, you know, the Cattlemen's Association, some kind of agriculture commodity of some kind, but never wine. And that was back in 2000. Yeah.
0: Merchandising is a theme I'm seeing because you just yes. told me you were merchandising yesterday
1: yes. anyway, and this morning. <laughs> you haven't yeah. gotten
0: rid of those responsibilities. Yes, yeah. So, your first wine job came about shortly thereafter, I guess it
1: did. I started in a tasting room um, at a New Mexico wine well, El Paso, New Mexico, uh, called Emecia Valley, called Lavinia, Ken and Denise Stark. And because my father is a bronze sculptor, so an artist, and my mom did a lot of interior design and clothing design, um, I have a propensity, I say, for selling people things they don't need. Call it a carnival barker, <laughs> call it what you want, but you know, you, you don't need this product on the basics list, right? Now, as you fall in love with wine, you realize that you, it does provide this esoteric sense of happiness and small luxury, whatever you want to turn it into. But um, Denise Stark wanted to fire me every day of her life because I have a number disorder and I cannot balance the till. (laughs) You don't want me counting money. You don't want me doing anything, but I could sell more wine than anybody just because I love people and I love making the connection and I love the culture. I love the Mexican culture in that area they're the reason we even have wine on the North American continent. And I just became truly fascinated with the history and the story of that. So she would sit down, she made multiple worksheets at night to try and get me, you know, to make it easier for my brain, counting out pennies, dimes and quarters. And I could never balance the till. And I just really credit her and Ken both for being like, okay, that's it. We know, we, you know, she's not going to do it. She's going to sell the wine, but this is not our strong suit. And so they were some of the first people that understood reassigning my strengths, I guess. And it just really set me on a path. And then I moved to Texas in 2005. And again, was trying to go to work for Rodeo Austin. I had been the, um, marketing girl for the buck and horse, the Binny Binance Buck and Horse and Bull Sale in Las Vegas, which has done nothing but continue to grow. And it was there I met, um, the producer at that time for Rodeo Austin, they were establishing a new VIP tent that they really wanted to make this very high-end experience. And so as they're describing it all to me, they have Texas beer, right? They have Texas cowboys, they have Texas beer, all Texas bands. And I said, well, what about wine? And he's like, oh, Texas wine is terrible. You know? (laughs) Yeah. 2005. And so I thought well that's just not you know like everything all the wines in the world until you you don't get to say this is all great or all bad until you've tried them all right so I called I looked up googled and it led me to Twigga's number and um, Dakota Hazelwood at the time answered the phone and she gave me the spiel about how you know we probably don't donate wine or that they don't donate wine and I had having I guess I left a piece out I grew from a merch girl in New Mexico after that experience to their executive director for the Wine and Growers Association and went on to produce the festivals for the subsequent years thereafter. So Dakota gave me her pitch and I said, Yeah, that sounds great. I'd be willing to bet that there's a case of wine in your office, maybe under your desk, that's not good enough to give to people you know and not bad enough to throw away. Can I just have that one? Right? Because I just really wanted to make a point And I heard her typing. And she said, what's your name again? And then she said, are you looking for a job? And at that time, that's when uh, the Texas Hill Country Wineries, which are celebrating their 25th year, were voting from eight members, eight or nine of the original, into the 16. And they were looking to outsource and find an executive director. So through Dakota, I was hired in that position May of 2005.
0: So you were the first executive director? I was the first ED. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, I yeah. knew that you had that in your background, but I didn't realize you were the first.
1: I was the first. I was there for seven years, and um, January we see the current executive de- director, who does a phenomenal job. She was uh, on with Flat Creek Estate, and so as I would, you know, send stuff out, try and execute trails, she was like one of four that would actually respond. <laughs> right. I'm that person now, though, as an owner, right? Like, just super buried and hit mark unread. And I get it. I really do get it. But she was so thorough and would use the assets provided and cared about marketing her region along with her property as well. And then, you know, you come to find out her background. She's a Wine Royalty. And she watched her region do the same thing growing up as a child. And she understands the importance of a cohesive Message and so when it came time to add a second position, I really wanted her to throw her hat in the ring for the job. She's really lovely and neutral and lets everyone operate as they should.
0: She's amazing, nothing seems to phase her, you know, she doesn't get down, or if she does, she doesn't show it.
1: Yeah, yeah, so.
0: So did you ever work for Becker or were you just doing a project for Becker? No,
1: I was, so after leaving the wine trail um, and, you know, who knows who, if there's so many versions of that story, but it was just time for me to go. My margins had changed, right? Um, we had tried some things that that, that I are, they're considering bringing back now, but the, the Austin Wine and Music Festival was established that I really wanted to create a festival that was 100%, you know, Texas wine, food, and music. And seven of the other members really were passionate about that too. And so that was kind of a driving force. Um, We put it on Memorial Day weekend, which is not a great weekend because of the rain, but we were going for leveraging our expenses when you spend that type of money for infrastructure, tenting, all of that. You know, to do it for two days is pretty scary if you get one day rained out. To do it for three days, you know, one day rained out, you still have a chance of breaking even and or making a profit. So that was our kind of internal struggle. But um, it did let an immense amount of people, the first one was in Republic Square Park in downtown Austin. Then it moved to the Domain. It let a ton of people know that there were wines and ABAs in the state, you know, from as far north as Lampasas with Alamosa and as far south um, as New Braunfels with Dracomal Creek and not just here in the Corridor.
0: Was it one hundred percent Texas?
1: It was by by default at that time. The one hundred percent Texas fruit wasn't an argument or a law or a primary, you know, characteristic that everyone was after. It was just the the wineries from the Texas Hill Country AVA. We had phenomenal we had phenomenal turnouts. I think our first year was. 5,000-something 5, 5, people, and then our average thereafter. We, we were hoping for 10,000, um, and we got between 7 and 8. We did some breakouts one year where we went to all the six members. Um, as the festival evolved, the association came back and said, we don't want to focus on this. We want to do other things. So those members, you know, in a meeting, I think they were hoping that I would quit. It was the group of people that wanted me to quit. Um, after that meeting said, listen, if we want to establish this and keep it going, because it's really good for us, the outliers, you know, Spicewood and, and all these outlier people. Um, and if you will produce it with us on the side, then we'll let you be a member. You just won't be a, a paid marketing girl like you can buy in. And so we set it up like that with stocks and shares. It was cool. It was really cool. It was kind of before it's time. Sometimes we do eight, you know, my husband calls it the eight-year factor, um, usually eight years before, before it's time. And, and that's okay. Like, that's totally okay. But I still have people that will talk about it that don't know I was involved. They just said, you know, it's in passing. These little nuggets will show up and they'll say, man, there used to be this wine festival in Austin that was so cool and so much fun and had great music. And I'll be like, oh, did the logo look like this? Or they'll be like,
0: oh my gosh, yeah. Those so, were the good old days. Those were the
1: good old days. And I meet so many people now from the high plains that would drive down And attended, you know, people from all over. But that was the statistic that really got me is it was modeled after the festivals in New Mexico, which are always held Memorial Day and Labor Day in conjunction, same time in the state. So while it's going on in Albuquerque, it's going on in Las Cruces. It's a mass flood of local wine into the state. But their largest demographic of attendees are Texans.
0: Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the irony. Right? Always. Always. Yeah. So... Uh, am I jumping too far ahead if I ask about your your very special trip to the High Plains?
1: No, I did leave out the part about Becker. So, then, oh, yeah, yeah. so that was kind of the driving force when, when the wine trail and I were like, you know what? We, we see it differently. We went our separate ways. And I w- went to work. I had been approached a couple times by Brett Pernu, who was the general manager at that time. Um, and so my dad went to work for Becker and was there just a little over a year. John Leahy and I started at the exact same time. They had to build our offices together in the cellar because they were busting at the seams inside, you know. And that was that was a wonderful, fantastic experience. It was in that position. Um, we did some great things there at Becker. We were the official wine of Formula One at first when they launched. That was a bid that we had to work very hard to get. Um, you know, we revamped websites and some collateral and, Try to bring it into a younger demographic at the time. You'll never meet anyone that is as gracious or as stoic or lovely with a razor sharp palate than Bunny Becker. I mean, she just she's going to be my bar <laughs> for eternity across all all things. But it was on that very special trip to the high plains, yes, that I had a four-hour conversation with a grape grower and with their gro- one of their grape growers, and um, eloped 42 days later and went from being always the marketing girl to heavily in debt, which I love. What's great about that is when we would have um, passionate discussions, if you will, about which direction we should be going in the industry. One of the f- Rick Neighbors' favorite things to always say was, "You girls don't have any skin in the game," you know, and it would really kind of hurt Jenny I's feelings to a degree because it was like, "Jeez, the phone rings into our home, you know, the phone rings into our home twenty four seven. We're on call to the consumers twenty four seven. If they had a bad experience because X Winery served them their sample in plastic medicine cups, they're not calling that winery. They're calling us and telling us they want their money back, right?" and it seems silly now because everything's digital online, but taking the wine trail tickets from hard paper filled out by hand at Texas Hills to an online platform, which is a big undertaking. You know, they just redid the website again. You must always, always evolve. And, and so I just, you start, that statement really irked me. And now I always want to call him up and be like, I get it, Rick. I get it. <laughs> like if this fails, 30 families plus us don't eat. That is legit skin in the game, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So,
0: your grape farmer husband is Nick Seton. Tell me about the Seton family. Yes,
1: Nicholas Seton and his sister Tracy Seton is the family I married into. And I joke now, after 10 years, a lot of people, there was a Benton Square. Don't think there wasn't a Benton Square in Blanco and Gillespie County. (laughs) It's a little abrupt, but okay. Yes, Yes, I... Came home, painted my house black, you know, broke up with who I'd been seeing. And 42 days later, we were married in Oregon on a Monday at my mom's house because it neatly fit. It was the 2013 freeze. Oh, So they didn't have any grapes. So they could actually go somewhere, right? And I had already had planned a trip planned to the Great Northwest. Um, And so, yeah, we morphed that. Into us getting married in my parents' yard on a Monday. Anthony married us, my brother-in-law. Cool. It was very cool. And so they began their eight combined. Anthony's family, Tracy and Nicholas. Tracy and si- Tracy and Nicholas are brother and sister. Um, and then my family, who were generational row crop farmers in Kansas, that bought a berry farm in Oregon. I, my sisters and I, are the first generation to break it. We don't make our income 100% from horses, cattle, or crops. We were the ones that moved to town and said, we want something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Or so we thought. And now I have a lot of sheep and a lot of grapes. <laughs> so just, you know, be careful what you wish for or put out there in the universe. However, um, yeah, we, they at that time, there was a wine growers association and they were putting on a wine and music festival. And everybody used to just crowd around the Becker booth because brett and and Dr. Becker at the time they were the wherewithal. they were the client that you wanted that could take extra tonnage, and they always pay their bills. You can 't find one grower that says they've been stiffed by Becker ever you know, and I, you can find plenty about other wineries to this day, and so um he just kind of would get swarmed, so I had been pouring him wine since two o'clock that afternoon in this really great bougie booth. And uh, after that, at the concert that night, Nick and I had texted back and forth, we were doing a photo shoot for all the Becker growers. Um, something that I find different, that I see really present in other regions, it's starting to work that way now, but they always start with the vineyard and the site and the grower, right? The grower is always the rock star. And then and then it the conversation leads to, And now the fruit's here, and this is how the winery is going to be the rock star. But I just think because of our positioning, I think that because Texas Hill Country Wineries was, you know, housed out of the Hill Country or in Austin or however you want to say it, because the wineries have the ear of the major metropolitan cities, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, you know, they all converge here. The winery has always led the conversation so, one of my very first marketing initi- initiatives with Becker was like, we got to put a face on these people who produce these For You know, without the fruit, you can't do anything. right? And so, on that, it was that trip, and we were photographing all 30, some 32, 33 of their growers at the time. And Nicholas's vineyard was managed. Nicholas and Tracy and Anthony's vineyard was managed by their uncle, which is Cliff Bingham at the time. They were just like, you know, you guys are already in this. We'll plant. We hope it shows up. But... They were still real cropping it. And so he was always saved in my phone. And he is until this day as my favorite grape grower. And I had sent him a text and just said, you know, I hate that we're photographing everybody else and 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 not my favorite grape grower. And he was like, no, thank you. You know,
0: He doesn't want to be in the limelight, does he? He has
1: a zero desire to be in the limelight. He doesn't want to be in a crowded room. You know, it. he doesn't want to be in town. I hey, mean, I can tell you all the places <laughs> Nick doesn't want to be. And it's in town, in a room. In the public, and certainly not on display. So, where
0: is he happiest?
1: Why the hell he picked me? I'll never know. I mean, I know why because <laughs> he needed balance. his grapes sold. Yeah, um, he is the happiest on a tractor. Mm-hmm. He is the happiest on a tractor or negotiating a land deal. I wish I could film his eyes when you drive by a piece of ground. To the, I mean, you know where we live, the high plains. Is this is flat, so flat. They say you can watch your dog run away for two weeks, right? And whether you are running for parts or picking up kids now. I mean, whatever we're doing, we drive this same roads. I also say to people, You're you're going in circles, but you're driving in squares, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Because if you fly over in a plane, you see the real crop circles, but they're platted out in perfect north south and east west squares. Mm -hmm. You know, block D eleven on a plat map. But everywhere you go, you just keep going in these big ginormous circles if you're as the crow flies north, south, east and west but they're laid out in squares. I don't know. The irony really gets to me. And we'll go, we'll drive the same, you know, 211, 303, 2196 to town and back multiple times a day. And he looks at a piece of ground and especially if they've just broke ground or plowed or planted, um, his eyes dart and at every single row, like just precision agriculture is that kid's love. I mean, he started when he was nine, he started farming when he was nine and he bought his first tractor at 13 without a cosigner. And, is a psycho workaholic. Do you
0: want to talk about what else you're doing at farmhouse besides grapes, soybeans,
1: peanuts? Sure. We do, um, primarily we are cotton, peanuts, black-eyed peas, melons, and pumpkins. That alternates, and um, in 2020, the guys decided to introduce sheep. So, and I went and filled anxiety meds because I had sheep. <laughs> growing up I knew them well how
0: hard could it be come on uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah I didn't take them but I filled them and I remember just crying at my positions assistant my she's a wine club member of course just sitting on her table and just crying like I don't want to do livestock with row croppers right my whole family's cowboys <laughs> crying I don't want to do livestock with sod busters and I just remember also saying like well your cotton farmers are gonna thank you because it's gonna snow if you're lambing this winter it's going to snow. And it did. And it was fun. And it's amazing. And it's all worked out. And yet again, the the 30 families that do employ us, we have all these amazing generational relationships um, on and around the farm that allow us to go to town and drive around or see media or attend an event. And they just rose up and Took on the task, and Daniel was the number one harvester driver. He was always he was our you know head vineyard guy, and he morphed into head sheep ombre, and so now Daniel and Sergio keep five thousand head of ewes alive. Yeah, oh. well, I remember incredible. one one
0: particular sheep that came <laughs> came out of your place <laughs> yes. was very entertaining to me that year when you were driving from the high plains to johnson city with her i think in a diaper in your front seat
1: <laughs> yes holly dolly she that first so the first batch we didn't have all our barns correctly built and so i was triaging lambs in my laundry room in the kitchen in the garage you name it i had living room lambs right and holly dolly came in with three broke legs and and in pretty bad shape but she just stuck i couldn't i couldn't send her back out she she's had a look, man. And she was beautiful. So she lived in the house probably in an inappropriate amount of time, much longer than she was supposed to. But it was also, you know, the boys played with her and um, we put a bell on her. There's a thing called a Judas sheep that they use a lot in large sheep operations, where if you can have one team, I hate it when people say sheep are stupid. Sheep are not stupid. Sheep are wildly insecure. And so they just do what person, a lot lot like a lot of people, they just do what the sheep in front of them does, right? So if you put them in a situation where none of them have seen before, they are all going to balk, like anybody. But if you take a tame one and lead it through a gate or lead it around a corner or, or take it where you want to go, the rest will follow. And so I saw her as an opportunity. Sometimes when we need to get things done in a hurry, we just take Holly Dolly out on an old lead rope and... The rest will follow. We gather sometimes. We run them in a pecan orchard that we lease. And that can be hard to gather in a pecan orchard because they just dart through the trees and there's so much hole. When you're moving livestock, if you know anything about livestock, it really comes down to just pressure and daylight, right? You're putting pressure on an animal to move it and how much daylight do they have to find the hole? And so when you put a bunch of trees in there, that really wildly messes with their sight and their ability to see. But if you can take a safe sheep... They'll just follow.
0: Oh, smart. Are they too big to be in the vineyard or can they go certain times of year?
1: Oh no, we do graze them. Yeah, we graze them all the time. So our original vineyard, the farmhouse vineyard, which was established, planted in two thousand and ten, which has thirty acres, has the proper high trellising and so they are turned out there longer than any place. We graze them off and around Seedock or Kirk's House Vineyard. Um and and the other sites, but no, they go across to everything. That's the best fertilizer you're ever gonna find. And, and they don't
0: bother the grapes? Mm-hmm. Or you don't put them in during no. when they're about to ripen?
1: Yeah. No, nope. we put them in for desuckering and we put them in in the winter. We put them in a couple times and they only stay for like a two week period. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what that year's given us, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, less use of pesticides, herbicides, and it infuses really great soil health which was on our bingo card
0: (laughs) indeed it was i don't actually know i guess i did hear about soil
1: health soil health yeah
0: yeah um here she's talking about the texas wine pod bingo card that i created for the hill country wine symposium
1: everyone thinks it's in the fecal matter it's actually in the urine
0: really i didn't
1: know that yeah it's the highest concentration like everything you know what are your kidneys doing It's the highest concentration. And so we really saw it in a return of native grasses this year when we had uh, some good rains. We were able, we had more bird hunting. We had, you know, the Playa Lakes will hold water and the frogs. And then we had this beautiful just variation of different grasses and tall color plants. And And so we really were able to see it this year. We were, our family was graciously awarded the Cherry County 2023 Farm Family of the Year, and that was out on the tour to watch um, the guys from NRCS, you know, talk about that and point out, look, there's five colors of native grass here that wouldn't have been there probably with just conventional agriculture. It's cool.
0: I saw that. I read that article that I saw online. I don't, Aww. I don't subscribe to that magazine. Right. not but, but was, <laughs> that's nice of you. But that was cool. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can find that and repost it. So you have. Three different sites, three different vineyard sites. Me too. Mm -hmm. And
1: quite a bit of... 120 acres totally. And I think it's 22 varieties at this time. Listen, I have a number disorder too. So (laughs) these are off by two or three. Like, (laughs) don't hold me to it. That's where you need Tracy. Tracy is our GM. Tracy is the reason people get paid. You know, when people are nice to me or trying to impress me, I'm like, I don't know why you're trying to impress me because the blonde right there, that's who cuts your checks. She's in charge. She's in charge. She's who's important. Um, Yeah, you need to know her name. Tracy Ferguson is co-owner of Farmhouse Vineyards. And if you need a decision made, that's going to cost a lot of money. Um, If you're forecasting anything that may cost us a lot of money, don't impress me. I've been around a long time. People know me. They know my name. I live my life a lot more out loud socially on social media just because it was my love language, you know? Um, Yeah, you need to know Tracy Ferguson's name.
0: For sure. And what about... Nicholas and Anthony, do they have different roles or do they do similar things?
1: They do. We all four do different and similar things. Um, God bless Tim Drake for working with the four of us for going on 10 years. This next year will be our 10th year together, a decade. And um, yes, I joke that we would win Survivor because Nicholas, his pulse is always at the highest rate possible. You know, he is of the ilk that we're going to lose it all today. Tomorrow, back the the trucks up. You know, (laughs) I will just be stumbling to the coffee machine in the morning and the first words out of his mouth is, well, they're backing it up. You know, today's the day we lose it all. Here comes the auction company. We're going under. We're, you know, we're not paying out. And sky's falling every single day. And he loves to screenshot what everybody else is doing and send it to me so that I know clearly how bad I'm failing at, you know, At Texas Wine Marketing.
0: Or any number of things. Any right?
1: number of things. Yes, it's a gentle reminder. I'm like, this doesn't inspire. But it's just how his brain works. And then um, Tracy has her master's in education. And so she taught for 10 years. So she loves a plan. Loves a plan. Her eyes are dotted. Her T's are crossed. She has a spreadsheet, right? Anthony is so laid back. Like, he's just a cool dude, right? And it's all going to be okay. Like with him, it is, he, he knows this, this got done. This is remaining on needs to be taken care of. But all in all, you ha- you want to check his pulse. Like I'm always, we want to grab him and be like, hello, are you there? Are you even, is your heart working? Are you alive? So he's, you know, Nicholas is up here. Anthony's down here and and Tracy's keeping us in compliance. And then I'm just the big idea girl. And I love to fail because I always see it as a huge opportunity. I don't set out to fail, but if I can see that it's going that way, I'll just fail as hard as I can, right? Because I'll I'll know how to never make the same mistake again. And a lot of that came from Gary Vee. I was a very early adopter of Gary Vee. Re- really? Oh my gosh, yes. He reviewed Texas wines hard. I did not know that. Way on back in the day. Uh-huh. And gave you know probably some pretty honest feedback. It was incredibly honest feedback. And when I sat down with the wineries that he reviewed to try and talk about it and say, okay, let's fix this, you know, if he's feeling this way, they they didn't want to hear it. It was hard. It was too personal. But I just remember thinking, wow, like we'll never get better if criticism like that can't be received. And so I started reading his books, following him online, and.
0: He definitely goes at life full force.
1: He totally does. But it's it's been good for him. Yeah. <laughs> Served <absolutely>. him well. <laughs> <It> sure has.
0: <laughs> I've been to both of your tasting rooms in Brownfield and in Johnson City and one of the things that is displayed quite prominently mm-hmm. is your list of your best damn clients.
1: Our best damn client list. Yes. So we are growers first. We provide fruit to the top 20 wineries in Texas. And first and foremost, that 's who we are and what we do. We never wanted to be I never wanted to be in the, I eloped with a grape grower to get the hell out of the wine business let 's just make that clear. Um, we never wanted to be in the wine business it we had a, a you know a winery walker contract and so in fifteen it was like way up this little bit of wine, and Nick and I were driving down the road. I can tell you exactly where I was. And I was lamenting about the process, like, well, here you go. I hope you're happy that you wanted to plant more grapes and grow more grapes because this is what it's like. You know, it's not the dream. Everybody thinks it is. And, and he just asked me straight up, well, if you could do it better, how would you do it? If you could make a wine, what would you make? And I said, I would make, I said, there's, there's not a bridge wine. There's You know, it's either sickeningly sweet or a really big, hard Viognier at the time. And there's people in the middle. You know, not everybody lives in those two camps. And so I said, I, will, I would make a white wine that was as sweet as a dry drinker wanted to go and as dry as a sweet drinker wanted to go. That's what's missing. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And so we did. And I knew that when people heard that the marketing girl had married a grape grower and was now making a wine, their family was making a wine, you know, just how ridiculously kitschy is that? Ew, you know? <laughs> It was like a Taylor Swift song before a Taylor Swift song was even the thing. Um, yeah. So I thought, well, we better beat them to the punch. And so we put it in a split. There was not a lot of splits at that time because they're expensive. Because um, it is a gorgeous, I mean, Malvasia Bianca, we couldn't give it away at that time. Nobody knew what it was. We didn't even pronounce it properly on purpose. Not that I advocate for bastardizing the names of grape varieties, but when you are in West Texas, you know, in a Church of Christ town in the Bible Belt— and people won't even listen to music, stand up and listen to music and drink at the same time because that seemed wild at the time. Um, and that's a straight up witnessing from, <laughs> from their attempt at a wine and music festival <sighs> to then say like, here, please drink. Whatever you do, please drink. And then drink Malvasia Bianca. It sounds like psoriasis. <laughs> like that's not, I, I don't even want to do that. And I'm down with doing a lot, right? So we started calling her Malvasia Bianca. She softened. I would describe her as like, doesn't that sound like a lovely, you know, kind of a dancer or some really great portrait of a woman in the early 1800s, maybe in the Bordeaux, from the Bordeaux region. Like, (laughs) It just softened her and it allowed us to poke some fun at ourselves and invite people into this experience. And so, but yeah, we named her housewife because it was two housewives that had decided to make some wine. And Tracy and I went to town and tried to sell it and came up short. And we were like, oh, God, it is as hard as everyone says it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So you are still primarily selling most of your
0: fruit. And then you just keep a portion for what you want to do in your own farmhouse labels.
1: Mm -hmm. We sell 95% of what we grow to other people. And again, that's always going to be our biggest pride and joy. And then the 5% that we do keep makes our small boutique run of wines. And the one thing that we always get asked is, oh, so you sell the best and then make your wines out of what you guys keep or, oh, so you guys sell the rest. Like you sell everything and then you keep the 5% the best for you. And I am just horrified at the thought of that, right? Because if you're a good farmer, (laughs) if you're a good farmer, you're putting your best effort and your best inputs on any field, or any vineyard, or any plot, or any pasture, or any head of livestock from left to right, top to bottom, right? Sure. And the idea of somebody keeping the best and selling the rest, or selling the best and keeping the rest, is not somebody who farms for a living. I can just tell you that.
0: The other night at the symposium reception, I said, oh, what farmhouse wine did you bring? And you said, oh, no, I want our clients to be in the spotlight, not us.
1: Correct. Yeah, we don't, we don't bring our wines to town in that setting. I want to see farmhouse vineyards designation on the label. That's how we win down here. That's why the Airstream happened. We knew we needed an outlet to sell more wine. I still had a home in Johnson City. We were making trips back and forth to the AVA at the time, all the time. And it was like, this needs to pencil out a little bit more, right? But I really, we wanted a 33 square foot imprint to just say, oh yeah, we exist, but we exist because we sell to to so-and-so and so-and-so on down the line. Like, stop here first. Let's have an intimate tasting for two, four, six if you're really good friends with each other, but that's it. That's the all, you can fit six people in there. That's it. And then go see our clients. That plan was flawed because the Airstream didn't have a bathroom. People need a restroom. And the first spring that we installed her down here, it rained every weekend the entire year. Never rained Monday through Wednesday, but it rained all Thursday through Sundays. So our attempt at like doing larger tastings outside on the weekends was just squashed by weather. And when that little house on main street became available, we only rent it. We don't own it. Um, it allowed us to still keep the tipsy trailer under an arched oak, but move into a house that was more like the setting of the high plains with White House Parker. She's not a long rambling ranch. She's a square craftsman, but it completed the brand because we wanted our tasting rooms and houses. We, we want people to just to feel like they're coming over and having wine with a grower and we can talk about anything. And Oh, by the way, here's our cotton henny or here's our black eyed peas. Cause this is just a table food. Right? You can get highfalutin and snobby about it, but this is just agriculture and a table food and you can we want you to fall in love with the act of producing and growing it.
0: Well the other nice thing about having a little more space is that you have precious gift shops. Oh, you're sweet. In Thank both you. locations. I yeah. mean, really the
1: cutest. You have given us um two distinct what I want to say, awards or designations that meant the world to us as a brand. And the first one was the Best Christmas Shopping, you know.
0: I stand by that. (laughs) Thank you.
1: And then this last year, Best Social Media, which was, or Most Authentic. It was the Most Authentic Social, Most Authentic, right? Yeah. This year,
0: I named you Brand with Heart.
1: Brand with Heart. That's what it was. And... But it ties into that, I feel like. Yeah, yeah the brand with the heart. Absolutely. Yes, because we put our people out.
0: And the reason, a couple of the reasons that I did that is because I like how you tell your brand story. I think you were in the session at Symposium that I was in about content creation. Uh-huh. And what is unique about your story? It's not just, hey, I'm here. My tasting room's open. Right. It goes a lot deeper.
1: Yeah, well, thank what, you. What
0: I like about your brand story, I made a few notes, is that it includes West Texas and yes. High Plains. It includes farmers, vineyard workers, and it centers women. And so I want to hear you talk about your vineyard workers, most of whom are women.
1: They are. We're 98% female-led in the vineyard. I'll try really hard not to get emotional because (laughs) they are just the best. Um, Yes, we are incredibly blessed to have a a 98% female-led crew that's generational. We have women who have been in the vineyards since it's almost inception. You got to meet Nini again, see her, she came this time. Her mom is Gia, one of our oldest crew leaders, not oldest, longstanding team member, I guess. Um, And that is on purpose. That is a deliberate move because wine is female, grapes are female, grapes. And I explain it to people a lot. And when I'm visually in front of you, I think it makes more sense, but A vine is a woman. When you approach your vineyard, like it's a big room of many different women with opinions who are going to give birth every year. Like I just, it's important that you go at it like that because if you do and you begin to understand and work with those women and make them feel seen and heard, (laughs) those who need comfort, those who need doctored, those who need pulled out, right? Like, it, you know, um, but truly she is a vine anatomy wise. A vine has a crotch and, you know, she you have arms that lay down on your cordon wire. Your vineyard is at its best and safest and healthiest when you have no holes in it, meaning you have no dead vines that create a hole. Like you, you want those cordons to reach out and act like a chorus line. So when everybody's giving really healthy birth, when everybody is linked arm in arm, like the cats. That is when you're seeing true production quality at its finest. And you send women into the vineyard with that ethos adopted. You know, you have that conversation with them. They're not just now pruning and making cuts, because that's we're pruning right now. You know, this is a plant, boom, 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 we're going. They are getting to know each vine for who she is, how she behaved last year, are her notes separated appropriately? Are those spurs positioned appropriately? Do we need to roll up here? Do we need to take more dead wood? Whatever it is, like what do you need? And addressing her for who she is, now you're doing that across 120 acres, now we're talking real fruit quality. And it doesn't hurt that they sing to the vines. They do. They sing to the vines. Many of them are in the choir at St. Saint Anthony's, Saint Anthony's Catholic Church, and so they will practice. They also bless the vines every year. And this year I filmed it with the intent to share it because it's so beautiful. They have their rosaries and they walk the whole vineyard and they carry the saint and they pray and they do the whole rosary and I wept the entire time and I just didn't share it because I did not want it to be interpreted as another way to try and sell wine, but they care as much if not more, because they're out there every day in every condition than our family does. And not that our family doesn't care because we care. We're leveraged at the bank on it. But those women, rain, sleet, snow, wind, dust. Nini called her mom yesterday and she had told her like just out of nowhere, like it's awful at home right now, right? And she said, just out of nowhere, they got a dust devil. Well, a dust devil, when you're driving at 90 miles an hour on a dirt field, looks kind of cool. But if you've ever stood in one, or if you've ever had one come up on you, it's not awesome working conditions, and they just, they don't quit, man. They're tough. They're so tough, and they're so talented, Mm -hmm. and it's important to me that they're recognized. It's important to all of us in our family that they're recognized. Yeah, they do great work. And now their daughters and their sons are on the tasting room floor. And, I, and that's like my just biggest achievement, I think, is retaining young people within the brand who say, <laughs> you know, well, my parents are first generation, and so they are clearly tougher than I, but I'm, they've given me the opportunity, and I'm going to go to college, and this is going to be my major, and I don't want to work outside the whole time. And okay, that's fine, but I didn't lose you to some big city job. Like, you're still here.
0: One of the ladies I met said she was a school teacher, but on her breaks that she would come and work in the vineyards. Yeah. With, I think it was her mom or her aunt that's or both.
1: Ju- that's Judith. That's, mm-hmm. So that's Nini's older. So Gia, who I spoke of, it's her oldest daughter. Gia, um, Judith, and both Rafa. His mom is Gogo, who is with me in the house. That's who helped be like raise McLean, you know, from the time I was a baby. She was retiring when I was in my late stages of pregnancy. And I just was like, Gogo, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Because you, you can't keep up with that woman. Gogo was on her own pace. All the other ladies like, come, you know, they'd work at this pace back here laughing and talking and having good fun. But Gogo is nose to the grindstone. Get across the makers, man. <laughs> where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And she's like, I don't know. I might watch some kids. I might clean some houses. And I was like, I, I need you to watch this kid. And that's allowed me to travel. And then Judith would travel with me because she hadn't completed college yet. And Yeah. They're amazing. So that's her older sister. And then this was Nini's first symposium. And we, when we were driving, when we were dropping in, you know how you hit the stoplight by Starbucks and you turn left, to kind of drop into the lake. I looked at her and I said, listen here, we're about to bail into the sharks. I said, don't you duck your head to anybody because they can't build big fancy estates and they can't have big splashy million dollar anything until you and your family go across the acres. So, if you feel out like a fish out of water, if you feel in over your head, just give me the sign. You know, these are who your safe people are. You find January, you find Tim, you find so and so. But don't you duck your head to anybody because without you and your family and what you do, they can't do what they do. So true. And she was like, "Yes, ma'am."
0: Symposium <laughs> is a little bit scary to go into for the Symposium's first time, no, matter, no matter what your situation yeah. is in the wine world, yeah,
1: it is. How'd you get connected with Tim? Oh, Tim Drake, he's amazeballs. Um, It's really funny, actually, by accident, but God's given accident. There are no accidents. It was during flashback to Austin Wine and Musical Time. I'd seen a really great resume come across the email that had all this St. Michelle and, I mean, all these other really notable wineries on it. And I thought, oh my gosh, whoever gets that guy is lucky. And your ears perked
0: up a little bit because you're like somebody from the Pacific Northwest? Somebody from the
1: Pacific Northwest, yeah. But I also had another guy with the last name of Drake that was trying to call and sell me stickers and labels for Austin Wine Music Festival. We didn't have the budget and I kept telling him no and he kept calling. And so one day, I'd had a particularly long day and I was sitting in the Walgreens or CVS parking lot and label guy called again. And said, hey, this is, you know, Tim Drake, blah, blah, blah. And I just said, listen, sir, I appreciate you. I'm going to cut you off right there. Like, I try to be nice. We don't have the budget. You know, people don't care at this point for that seamless of branding. I don't see it going over well. My time's getting shorter and shorter. I'm just going to have to ask you to stop calling me. I was real direct with him. And he let me finish, and he's like, okay, well, I'm just a winemaker. And, and I, I was it's, like, oh, my God, you're like the winemaker. Wait, does your resume have so-and-so and so-and-so on it? Yes, ma'am, that's me. He's like, I'm just trying to break in. We, my wife and I have an amazing, you know, they had a lab at the time. They were the official, like, lab. I mean, Benedict established a lab in the Hill Country. But Tim and Spring brought Texas Wine Lab, which could be mobile. They would come to you. Later on, Texas Custom Wine Works ended up purchasing that um, intellectual property, we heard this weekend, how important that is, the intellectual property and the equipment and the branding on it, and absorbed it into their crush facility. But So first of all, like usual, I just kind of made an ass out of myself on the phone. And then thank God, Tim was his amazing self. You know, he lets water off a duck's back. And they showed up and did a, a thing, if you are around them at all, the Drinks with Drake's. Um, they are great mixologists and cocktail people. And so they put on a session. I was always needed programming, and they put on a session at the wine festival that was drinks with wine mixology, and they were a huge hit, a huge hit. I and bet then, that would
0: be even today.
1: Oh my gosh, amazing! Yeah, the joke is that they used to have in the olden days mini fridges for their side tables in their bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and spring would you say like I could I could love a, a lime over, and it would come back to me quartered you know i mean like they were their own act and i always wanted to put them actually in a bed the next year if we'd kept the festival going i was literally going to put them on a platform in a bed and do drinks with drink from bed because they're just they're that fantastic and their sensory evaluation is phenomenal and razor sharp so back to driving down the road with in that one moment when Nick said, if you could make a wine. And I said, and there's only one winemaker that we would ever go to. And we approached him. He was resident winemaker at that time with Flat Creek. But he fixed a lot of faults and problems for people all over town that he never talked about. And I knew he would do that. And I hoped he would do it for us. And he said yes. And so our first vintage with him was 2015 with Housewife.
0: The rest is history. The rest
1: is history. Now he's resident winemaker at Michael Ross, but still farmhouse winemaker. Still helps my ex. So that's funny. You know, that type of vernacular and things goes on all the time in other places. But when you say that to people, like, he's a resident winemaker here, but he's still our winemaker. It's like, hmm.
0: <laughs> How does that work? You're like, <laughs> it
1: can work. Michael and Rossanne are lovely people.
0: Yeah, they in are. In fact,
1: I got to spend a little bit of time with her at the symposium more so than normal and just really enjoyed her. She's funny.
0: Yeah. And I've never really spent much time with Tim, but I
1: sat by him at a tasting.
0: And I was thinking, would he come on my podcast someday, he would. maybe?
1: He would. <laughs> he would talk about anything and everything other than wine, We're was like, rain it in, buddy. Come Which, on. I know. That's the pot calling the kettle black.
0: Well, because your branding is so unique, and this is one example. I'm, I want to know if you have any suggestions for newer brands that may be starting up and how they can authentically tell their story. This is an example of some of your branding that I think is so telling and just kind of goes with a lot of the themes that I mentioned before. And this is what's on the back of your farmer's wife wine, in part, part of it. Yes. Um, It's basically asking, what is a farmer's wife? It's fully understanding that your husband chose God and Mother Nature as business partners. It's reheated meals, missed appearances, and hearing these words year-round— Today's the most important day of the year on our farm. Mm-hmm. That's so good.
1: Thank you. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. And I think that's what keeps you relevant and will keep you safe and make you approachable with an audience. It's just always telling the truth. When the brands that I look to, I'm from Oregon, so I really like Nike. I don't like the ducks. I'm a beaver. My daughter's a duck. Who <laughs> so is was my nephew. <laughs> Yeah, so is my nephew. But I look to Arm & Hammer. You look to the brands that are still the same. You look at Arm Hammer still sports that seal. You look at the yellow golden arches. You look at the Nike swoosh, right? And they knew who they were and they knew their principles. And they just haven't, haven't strayed, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. And not try to reinvent and they, become the new Coke. They correct. just stayed with Coke. They just
1: stayed, yeah, yeah. Because how awful was the new Coke and the new Pepsi and all the other iterations that they continue to roll out, right? And I get it's a necessary evil, maybe for to, for just a quick audience grab or a limelight grab, but it's not a method of longevity. And I'm about, I want to, we want to have an organic brand that people find their way to us because somebody fell in love with our wine and told them about. it's It's not... It's not because we spent a fortune on advertising.
0: It's not a flash in the pan. Yeah. One of the ways that I think you have made an impact in your Brownfield local community is the Armory. Can you explain what the Armory is and how you're using it?
1: So we make our wines. We like to say we gig it all over town. We've utilized both crush facilities on the Texas High Plains. And um, we have bottled, we've finished and bottled with Becker. We make our sangria with so we utilize either a crush facility or our client. And that's been great. It's also really, really expensive. <laughs> and when every single person on our team is not in the same room, including the four of us, you know, it's like Nick and Anthony are married because they're out on the road crap side. And it's like Tracy and I are married. Um, we were always starting in the day driving to Parker, which is our tasting room there, which is the, his old bachelor house. Setting up shop, so getting our documents out, getting our laptops out, getting started. Then someone would see our cars and stop by. We're so gracious and thankful, and hopefully we could sell them something that's for sale. Everything's for sale for a price, right? And visit, but then we're trying to squeeze in a Zoom call. Alarm would go off. It's time to get kids. Slam, shove those same documents or notes back in the bag. Pick up kids. Get the phone call I was waiting for all day. Take them out while driving down the road. So now there's ketchup on the document. There's ketchup on your grape contract, right? Or there's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and as you said, those phone calls were not hitting mute, just realizing the child has said or done something. Um, that's how we were conducting business for the first seven years, like a lot of people. And the armory sits right across the way as the crow flies from Parker, but within the park on top of the knoll at these three fabulous or four baseball fields that the town had just restored And so, or created, I don't, I guess they built them or restored them. I'm not quite sure, but it, it was an eyesore. It was dilapidated. It was run down. It was empty, had been vandalized, clearly evidence of people going there for other recreational activity. Um, But we needed a place to bring all of our wine in house. We're not a winery. It's very confusing for people. We try and spell it out, but we're a wine brand who retains a full time winemaker because we are growers first. And so we we were able to purchase the armory. We were able to rehab it again, all by hand, our people. So, your same vineyard ladies who are pruning, harvesting, also catering, you know, so everything's on your plate is by their hand. What's in your glass is by their hand. They also paint, you know, we do it all. So, they're painting, cleaning, Brett came up and installed. We got our window bid back. It was $36,000. We didn't have $36,000. Brett, who has built, you know, every house he's ever lived in, every remodel Becker ever had was with Brett's dad, Pa Dave and Brett. And they're both just master builders. And so he said, let's, you guys, we can buy stock windows at Lowe's. I think bring it down to $12,000. You know, Philemon and Carmen are great masonry. They are who built all of Dry Kamal Creek's masonry originally. And we'll come up on a weekend with my son and his college buddy and we'll fit, put those windows in ourselves. So we wow. bought stock windows and then bricked to them. Right. And I think it, it came in around 12. And so we're just super fortunate and took us a long time to paint the outside. Everybody wanted us to paint the outside first, you know, cause you always want to see things look pretty, but we started inside out and, um, it now serves as our corporate offices. It has four offices that are all connected. So we're able to centralize, the business. And we have a boardroom. It's our barrel storage. We have a classroom to provide education. It's an event center. And it has a kitchen. The kitchen is still unfinished. Still need $35,000. I need a grant.
0: This is a large
1: building. It is. A, it's a 15,000 square foot building. Um, it has a vault, the old ammunition vault. That's where I'm going to do my very high-end tastings, uh, a la the lovely girls in Brownwood, right? Um, cool. Yes, they have an amazing vault. And so, but I think it's, we've, I've done a couple of installations in it. The ladies have clipped and hung stuff so the ceiling is solid cotton. And then we did chicken wires on the walls so that it's solid maize. So when you're sitting in there, we've grown everything. At the table, right? The wine, cool. the grapes, the crop, So
0: When I was there, yeah. they were setting up for an art show. So it was like yes. an art and wine event. Yeah.
1: So. so it's become this community anchor, which is what it used to be. You know, they always held the f- county fair or harvest festival there was where they hung the quilts and the photography and best jam and largest pumpkin. And then it just really got to went south for a while but we're trying to bring it back we would love to see that type of activity there but yeah we have seed meetings and bible studies and baby showers and we're now getting into weddings just a little bit and yes i eating crow by the skid loader full always said i didn't would never do weddings and we went to the wedding showcased in Lubbock just last month, you know, but revenue's revenue. Never exactly. say never. I
0: was about to say, <laughs> weddings are looking pretty good these days. They're looking
1: real good, yeah. especially up there where the weather's so wild and volatile. And it's the one thing we can control. The one thing we can control is the environment in that building.
0: There's a lot going on around the eclipse in April. Oh, yes. But I think the story of the wine that you've bottled is cool. And so I'd like you to tell Appreciate that.
1: Thank you so much. So you're we talking about The Observer. Um, and again, it's a happy little accident or divine intervention. In August of 2017, I flew home to Oregon because McLean, my youngest son, was in a wedding. He was the ring bearer at a wedding. And when I landed in the airport, I was like, "What? On? what is going on in the actual hell? And I have not been to Dubai, but it's what I pictured Dubai to look like. It was so busy and there were so many people at all ethnicities and all languages just all around. And I thought, what is happening? And as I began driving up the gorge and just seeing like all oh, this tar- I phoned my sister and she was like, It's the eclipse. I'm like, yeah, so what? You know, okay. And we farm by the sun and the moon. That's what we do, right? We're we're big moon and tide people. We we know who's lambing and calving on what day because it's because it's a moon. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, but this is total, total solar eclipse, path of totality. Started putting out all these words that, you know, we're all learning now, but she was whipping them out. And then I could hear her again typing. And she, oh my gosh, Kenny Jane. She's like, I think the next one's in Texas. Like, I think it, and she said, it is, you're in the swath. Like it is, you are there. She's like, do something now. And so I hung up from the oldest sister called the sister-in-law partner. We were harvesting at home and, and I knew that. And she answered from the field, you know, what, what are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? Tired. You're on vacation. you know, you're gone and we're here grunting it out. Shocker. Um, but what do we have that's unsold? And it wasn't a lot. And she like, a little of this, a little of that. And I said, please, whatever you do, take as many pictures as you can today and keep that lot separated out, keep those three lots separated out. I'll explain later. And so on my way back through the airport, Knowing we were going to do something, you know, it was relatively uneventful for us where I was at home in the pine trees. It kind of just sky went green that day. And so I, again, didn't really have an understanding. On the way home, Fino Volo happened to be by my gate. And I walked in to say, I wanted to say, do you have a great dry rose you'd recommend? And the little wine steward on the floor just had a meltdown. And he was like, no, I don't. I'm out. I don't have any. And he just cut me off. And I was like, Dry rosé? You don't have any dry rosé? He's like, oh, I thought you were asking for the Eclipse wine. And I, I just remember chuckling then, knowing, like, oh, this is really going to be hopefully pretty awesome. So it's called The Observer. It was named by my dear friend Brandy. We were struggling. We didn't want to name it The Eclipse. Um, and it was harvested physically during that moment on that day. Tracy has the image on her phone, which is the emblem or the logo. It's the, the sun flare that you see on the front of the bottle. There's only 16 cases. So it's been a seven-year journey for our family. Um, And it's priced accordingly. (laughs) It should be. We have moved it several times. We've prayed over it. We've chanted it. We've checked it in our jammies. We've checked it on certain moons. And that moment, that time trapped in a bottle, you know, them standing on that soil and the sun passing, or the moon passing in front of the sun for totality will never happen again, you know, like that. It, we could, it could never be created. Thank God it's a GSM. <laughs> that, was, that is another, oh, thank God, right? Um, so yes, it's, it's a wacky blend of a GSM, but it's a GSM nonetheless. And, and so yeah, we've hauled it all over the state. We've bottled it in different glass. And that is your ticket to... Our event and our party that day. And I had people say you won't sell a $500 bottle of wine in Texas. And I have.
0: Sweet. And the yes. parties in Johnson City. Right? Parties in
1: Johnson City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have some amazing musicians. And I think we're going to be able to nail down a really cool perspective of Texas wine with somebody that we all love very much as our expert speaker, you know, visually. Um, Fritz is going to be there. His uncle's coming from Italy. People are flying in from all over the world. So um, it's, yeah, it's been a cool journey. Then we had a true happy accident mistake when we bottled last June where one of our wines at the crush facility didn't get back sweetened. It was supposed to be our sweet wine. We don't throw pure cane sugar in the wine. We're not those people. (laughs) So we back sweetened. And it got missed. And so it hit the bottling line. I tasted it. It was kind of a meltdown. We do sell a lot of our sweet, you know, it says West Texas sweet on the back label. Some people call it that, but it's really just called sweet. It's got Grancy's artwork. And I was like, this is just not, it's not an issue. Like it's not awful. This is really kind of pretty. I want to taste it 26 days from now, but, um, we're always running out of dry whites and, it was a different dry white than our farmer's wife or our Oh, Charlet. Charley. And in that exact moment, Madison, who is our tasting room uh, manager here in Johnson City, just celebrated a one-year anniversary. She got us out of a jam last year at Symposium and has turned into the biggest blessing. Her husband, who's in law school at Tech, sent me, texted a t-shirt design. And he's like, I think this would be cool for t-shirts. And I was like, you know, I've been trying to get people to get on this train with me for six years, five years at the time. Like, yay you, yay you for caring. And no, we're not going to, yes, we put it on a t-shirt, but guess what? You just gained yourself a label. And so we put Cahill's artwork on that dry white and it became come and see it. So when we put it in our wine club, we, we actually labeled it right over top of the suite. And then we put it in our wine. If you tell people that it's 100% orange muscat, they have it in their mind that they're not going to like it. So we purposely didn't put the variety on the label. And when people go to taste it, they say, tell me what it is. You tell me what it is. Some people don't enjoy that candor. Um, but I've stumped Psalms, and I've stumped great winemakers, drinks kind of like a gruner. You know, it's funny little wine. And so when we put it out in the wine club, we, we put it over knowing with the humidity. I mean, at that time of year, that it, the label was going to peel off, and you were going to see this sweet label underneath and be like, these people are either super ghetto or they're broke because they're not doing it right. They're not scraping off a label and applying it. And then we waited about a week and we did an unveiling on Instagram to Aerosmith's sweet emotion and said, you know, you think, you know, you think, you know, orange muscat, but you don't. If you drink it blind. You're pretty happy with the emotion you're having right now. And so it's really gone over well. We said we were only going to make it once, and we've had a huge demand, and we went ahead and bottled it again this year. But that's a $35 price point. I know that not everyone can you know, afford a $500 bottle, or they may want to. Times are hard. Economy sucks. I mean, this last year has been brutal. That's the one thing you want to find consensus in Texas wine, the thing we can't achieve. We can all agree this one's been a a kicker. So that gave us an opportunity to have a white for everybody at 35 and, and the big red observer. That's nice. Yeah. I love accidents. Accidents are just opportunities.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm bummed that I'm going to be out of the country for the eclipse.
1: Me too.
0: <laughs> I cannot wait to see Thank you. how your party goes down.
1: Yeah. It's going to be cool. A it's going to be cool.
0: Okay. Let me ask you this. Then if you don't want to okay. answer, you don't have to. <laughs> Okay, you're the big idea person. Yes. What would you like to see accomplished in Texas wine in the next five to ten years?
1: Unity and consensus. The thing that we've struggled with our whole life, whether it's been through at the state level with TDA, I used to contract to the association known as Twiga, I spent seven years with Texas Hill Country Wineries. I spent seven years with a grower association that doesn't exist anymore. Um, the thing that is our greatest strength is also our greatest weakness. These people have been told that they're mavericks for growing and making wine in Texas. And so they very much have a we're going to do it our way or it's our way or the highway mentality. And all the data in the world that the state might collect and say, or January and I might have heard on the 1-800-LINE for 14 years, collectively, is, hey, when we think of Texas, we think this or that, or this is the imagery we love, or these are the type of events we want to come out to. And so we are often, you know, different wineries and groups, people get in a camp and say, if it's not this way, it's not 100% like this. If you don't fall into these parameters over here, then you don't fit our mold or our group or our clique. And we've really aired that out loud. And our consumers, we've encouraged our consumers to take up the fight or take up the argument for us. And as a result, I think it's just slowed down the overall impression of Texas wine being as phenomenal as it is, and having made the advancements that it has. You know, Washington Wine Commission, it's just all on board for Washington wine, period. Same with Oregon. You know, same with a lot of places. Uncork, New York. And when you go looking to find out what does everybody agree on about Texas wine, you don't see it. You see this group thinks this and this group does this and this group's operating over here. And I would just love if that's gonna be it, if you know, this group doesn't want any boots or hats or western connotation whatsoever in our outbound marketing because by God that's not who they are. They were doctors or they were in on, you know, the dot com era and they're pharmacist and they want to be taken seriously, that's fine. But read the statistics, read the data. Because every time Paso or Lodi does it or Austin City Limits, you looked at their branding last year. January and I screenshot that and we texted to each other and we say, whatever you do, Texas wine, don't embrace the Western thing. That'd be weird. That, whatever you do you know like whatever it is that you do or don't want to be a part of that's fine I'm a capitalist I too want to be able to do what I want with my money my brand but by God I want to see us all find a way to yes and I want that to be to be the message this is what we can agree on all of us this is what we can champion every single one of us in the biz um You know, in the olden days, when it was just the first 16, even when they vehemently disagreed about something, and they had manners, first of all. They didn't cuss. They didn't throw fits. They didn't stomp out of meetings. They were gentlemen, and they would vehemently disagree about something. But they always ended with, for the greater good of Texas wine. You know, Cord would say, Rick, I I don't agree with you. I think that's not true. I think you're wrong. But for the greater good of Texas wine. And Rick would say it back to Cord, And we took that attitude to the Capitol. And I remember wanting so badly the youth to enter because the youth would use the internet and the youth would promote us organically. And the youth wouldn't ask us how to change a paragraph on a website. But with the youth came the era of participation ribbons. They all got a participation ribbon growing up. So if they got told, no, this doesn't fit on the bill for you legislatively this year, we're not going to lobby for this. This is not what we need. It might have to wait. They got mad and they picked up their ball and they went home and they started their own thing or they sabotaged what someone else was trying to do. That's not consensus. That's not healthy. That's not all tides. Being told no, I've been told no a lot in life. You don't have to like it, but if it's for the greater picture, you know, or just let's all say what our yeses can be. Certainly, we agree more. that We all want to make quality wine from quality fruit grown in Texas, delivering a quality experience. That we can agree on.
0: And we all want to reach those consumers and have them visit our tasting rooms. Yes, we do. Yeah, I so think that, I that's think, what I hope for. I hope that, that that happens. Me too. Maybe not even five years down the road, but let's work for it in 2024.
1: Me too. It's going to take vodka. <laughs> Something. <laughs> I believe, it can, I believe it can happen. I think, man, if you want to look to people that I think make a huge difference, make phenomenal products, and stay out of the fray, Ron Yates, Ben Calais, Randy Hester. You really care about Big Red Wines. You really care about watching somebody work their ass off and do a good job and deliver an experience. Go there.
0: Very good suggestions. Yeah. There's some nice guys.
1: They're really good, upstanding humans that do really good things for the wine business.
0: Well, as do you, and I certainly appreciate all the feedback you've given me over time and being willing to sit down with me.
1: Thank you. I appreciate pleasure. it, too. This was an honor. This was an honor to be featured.
0: Thanks, Katie Jane. Stay tuned for Demerits and Gold Stars. Although the podcast is technically free, it's definitely not free to produce. One way to think about a podcast is like a newspaper or a magazine subscription. If you've gotten an hour's worth of enjoyment or education from listening, consider making a one-time or an ongoing donation to help cover the production costs of the podcast. You can do that at thisistexaswine.com. Only a fraction of listeners contribute, but it's much appreciated and helps me stay motivated to continue putting out episode after episode. You can also leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and leave a few remarks. And finally, don't forget to visit my website to sign up for the occasional podcast newsletter. That's where I'll communicate with you on my recent wine events and fun finds in wine and travel. That's at thisistexaswine.com. And now I've got a gold star. Texas Wine and Grape Growers just held their annual conference and several awards were presented to some very deserving members of the Texas wine community. The T.V. Munson Award for Grape Growing was presented to Alphonse and Martha Dotson. The Louis F. Qualia Award for Pioneering Spirit went to Michael McClendon of Sage's Vintage. The John E. Crosby Jr. Lifetime Achievement Award went to Susan Aller and the late Ed Aller of Fall Creek Vineyards, and the Bunny Becker Women and Wine Award went to Roxanne Myers of Lost Oak Winery. Congratulations to the winners. And speaking of Sages Vintage, be sure to hold the dates for the 2024 Sages Symposium in Nacogdoches. It's going to be held May 20th and 21st. The 20th is a day reserved for Sages clients, and the 21st is open to anyone to come and hear from some distinguished speakers. I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say who some of those speakers are yet, so stay tuned, but trust me, they're impressive. Michael McClendon and Wes Jensen always put on a great day of programming, and you'll also have an opportunity to tour the Sage's Vintage Custom Crush facility. I'm proud to announce that This is Texas Wine is the official sponsor of Sage's Symposium, so how about that? There is no Texas wine demerit this episode. And that's it for this episode. I'll be back in three weeks with an interview with Brett Pernu of Arisell Vineyard. I'm taking an extra week to get it done because it's about to be spring break. Until then, be sure and get in touch. You can send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes to texaswinepod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out thisistexaswine.com for show notes and an opportunity to support the pod. Finally, thanks to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. Check out TXWineLover.com and download the app to help you plan your next trip to a Texas winery. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at Wine for the People on March 8th. Cheers, y'all!